Thanks for joining us today. We'd love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. So please take a minute and visit NBCOcala.com slash stories to tell us your story. And if God has used this ministry to touch your life in any way, we want to encourage you to partner with us financially. Help us to continue delivering God's word to the world. You can give online or through our mobile giving app. Help me welcome our online audience. So glad that you could join us. It's going to be a good one. Well, you can be seated. If you're uh, joining us tonight for the first time, my name is Lee Gilligan. I'm one of the uh, assistant pastors here, and it is always a privilege to be able to hang out with y'all. And I'm excited about uh, what, what I feel God has put on my heart to share with you. Um, I, I've said this before. I pretty much say it every time I'm here on the midweek. I like the midweek crew. You, you guys are fun. And earlier today, I was, I was running some errands, and before I came here, I, I stopped at a coffee shop. I came out, and as I, as I came, was going to my car, there was a, a man sitting in a truck a few spots away from me, and he yelled like a couple obscene things. And so I kind of, you know, I was kind of taken back, and I, I actually looked at him. I said, are you talking to me? Like, not trying to start something, but like honestly questioning, like, did I do something to offend this guy? And he goes, oh, no, you okay, Slim? He called me Slim. <laughs> so when he said Slim, then I knew he was talking to me. So I was like, all right, all right. He said, hey, why don't you come here for a minute? And I hesitated, but, you know, in hindsight, I don't really know why I went over there. But I, I walked up. I said, yeah. And he said, I got a proposition for you. And I'm thinking, what, what, what is that? And he said, how about my people and your people get together? We go out tonight and get hyped up. Okay? So he said, go get hyped up. And I said, well, my people are at Meadowbrook Church, and they're already hyped up. <laughs> And so he said, all right, I feel you. And uh, so maybe he's here. Hey, if you're here, welcome. I love you, bro. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm always looking for those everyday encounters that could be uh, good sermon material or just worth repeating, you know. But as Pastor Sean mentioned a few minutes ago, what Easter was incredible, right? And, uh, yeah, give God some praise. I, I just celebrate, as he mentioned, with those 90 people who made decisions for Christ. Their eternity was altered uh, because of the truth of what Jesus came to do. And, you know, I was thinking about it. Maybe there's more people who made that decision uh, just between them and God, and they didn't come forward or it made that decision watching by Internet. And I, I would encourage you, if you haven't told someone about that or if you haven't connected with us, we'd love to equip you with resources as you take those next steps uh, to follow your journey with Christ. So if, you, if we didn't get a chance to meet you, uh, I would encourage you to come to the altar after service. There would be people who would love to talk to you or call us here at the church throughout the week. We are a church family, and so we are here for you wherever you're at in that journey. But, you know, Easter Easter's fun, especially when you have kids. And, and, you know, we had a big week last week. We had rehearsals leading into the weekend, and then we were here pretty much all day Saturday and Sunday. So come uh, Sunday afternoon, I was tired. I'm ready to nap. You know, that there's something about that Sunday afternoon nap. There's, there, it's holy. There, God's presence resides there. But it didn't matter how tired I was. My kids were ready to hunt eggs. And there was family in town, and it was time to eat ham. And, you know, there's other stuff that needed to happen before, uh, before that nap time took place. So Easter's fun. And last week, my kids were on spring break. And, um, you know, they're growing, and they're changing all the time, and they're fun. They keep us on our toes. And, and uh, 
it was Thursday of last week, I believe, uh, we, were, we were driving around doing some errands with the kids, and we stopped to get Katie's car washed. So we ran it through the wash. As soon as we were done, we parked in like the vacuum bays, and we got out each one of us on one side to vacuum out the car. Well, I told Gavin to stay in his seat, and so he got out of his seat, and he's running around the car, and, and we're hurrying to get out of there. So I'm like correcting him, but at the same time, I'm still vacuuming. Well, I see him come around her side, and he's crying, and I actually corrected him. I said, see, that's what you get for getting out of the car. You know, I'm not, I'm not showing any grace. And it, plus, he's been a little bit overdramatic lately when he gets hurt anyway. So I'm just like, whatever. Well, Katie, I, I watch it. She drops the hose and she says, oh, my gosh. So I come running around the side. And when I get there, there's blood pouring down his head, down his face. And you know when head wounds bleed, it just kind of goes and works its way down your neck, down your chest. There's blood everywhere. And with a head wound, it doesn't matter if it's a deep gash or a small incision. They just bleed. It's like that scalp pops and just blood everywhere. And Katie was like, I thought she was going to pass out. She doesn't do well with that. So I get down, and, and, and I feel bad because I've just corrected him. And I'm, like, literally trying to, like, spread the blood to, like, see where it's coming from. Yeah, I couldn't tell where the incision was. So it was not horrible, but it was bad enough. I knew we needed to go to the ER. So we get in the car. We speed up to the ER. And thankfully, all said and done, from the time he got hurt to the time we were leaving, um, that it was, like, right at an hour. And that never happened. So favor there. But he had to get two staples, and it was only traumatic for a few moments. By the next day, you wouldn't have even known anything had happened to him, except for the fact that he was showing everyone. It was like he was proud of it. And now he's actually using it as like a manipulation tactic. Like anytime we correct him, he says, hey, you can't do that to a guy with staples. But, but thankfully, he gets him out tomorrow, so... But I say all that to say, in that process, I kind of had this realization. We were in the emergency room, and, and the hardest part is not getting the staples or not getting stitches. The hardest part, the most painful part, is before that when they numb it, right? And they stick the needle in wherever the area is. And so they, you know, Katie doesn't do well with that. Gavin hates needles. I don't know anyone that loves needles. So they said, Dad, here's what we need you to do. We want you to lay on the bed and hold Gavin against you, you know, so he can't fight. So I've got him holding him against my chest. He's crying. He's shaking. He's a little scared. And they stuck, stuck him twice. And as I'm holding him, I'm thinking how much I love him, how much I, I, I want the best for him, how much I don't want to see him in pain. I don't want to see him cry. I don't want to see him hurt. I want good for him. I want to do everything I can to give him a good life. And it occurred to me, you know, that's how God feels about us. He wants the best for us. He doesn't want to see us in pain. He doesn't want to see us struggling. And You know, growing up as a believer, I always knew God loved me. I always knew he had a plan for me. But something happens when you have a child of your own and and, and you look at them and you think, if I love this kid that much, I can only imagine how much God loves me. I can only imagine how God must love me. And here's the truth. God loves you. God has bigger plans for you than you have for yourself. He wants to do more good than we can even imagine. And as much as we want those things and as much as we like that idea and and we want to believe God is faithful, what happens so often is that we get so self-focused or so self-sufficient or looking at our timeline, as Pastor Sean talked about, or maybe our way of accomplishing something, our focus shifts. And as much as we want what God wants, we end up working against his plan or fighting against what he wants to do because we're getting so focused on everything through the context of self. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Okay, and, and, and so we end up fighting against his plan unintentionally. So tonight I want to I teach a message to you. The title of it is Stop Fighting. Stop Fighting. And so if you're taking notes, you can write that down. I want to bless you. Um, 
I, I want to share another Gavin story. And I think I might have shared this before. This was a few years back. I was at work. Katie uh, texted me and it said, Gavin got into the Tylenol. Kind of, kind of vague, like adult Tylenol, kids Tylenol, how much? Like, where's this going? So rather than text back and forth, I pick up the phone and I call her. And basically what had happened was the night before, Cora had been running a fever. In the middle of the night, Katie went in and, and gave her some uh, infant Tylenol, and then she set the bottle on top of Cora's dresser. Well, she forgot about it in the middle of the night. So the next day, Gavin comes out. He's got red lips, you know, red all around, you know, that, that cherry flavor. And she's thinking candy or juice, and then it hit her. Oh, my gosh, he got into that Tylenol. So she calls me, and I'm, I'm like, well, don't, don't waste time. I said, how much do you think he took? She said, I don't know. The bottle's empty. And so you're, you, as a parent, your heart starts to race because you, know, you hear about kids ODing on certain meds. And so I said, hang up the phone and call poison control. So she calls poison control, and the lady immediately, they start asking their series of questions. How old is he? How much does he weigh? What medication did he take? What was the dosage? How much was in it before? How much is there now? You know, they're trying to help figure out how serious this may be. And she said, okay. She said, he's going to be fine. She said, do not worry. He's going to be okay. Do not worry. He's going to be okay. The authority on the subject said, you have nothing to worry about. It's going to be okay. So Katie, she says, good. We have nothing to worry about. She calls me back. She tells me. And I had a moment of relief, but there was still that inkling inside of me where I thought, well, maybe what if he's not okay? Or maybe there was something she doesn't know, or, or maybe there's more that I can do to help this situation, right? That self-sufficiency crept in. Well, what ended up happening was I started thinking about things I had read where uh, the kids will overdose on acetaminophen, and then the, the side effects usually don't manifest till like 24 hours later. And then at that time, in some cases, there's already irreversible liver damage. And so I'm thinking, well, what if that's the case, right? She's already said, do not worry, he's going to be okay, but now I'm worrying, and so for 24 hours, a full 24 hours to the second, I worried. 24 hours later, once I realized he had no symptoms, I was like, oh, she was right. She, she, everything's okay. I, I didn't need to worry. But how often is that us in our lives? Where God has a plan. He has a promise. We, we, we've seen that he's been faithful, and we know he's going to take care of us regardless of what we're going through. And God would have you know, don't worry. Everything's going to be okay. Don't worry, you're going to be okay. And we go through this season worrying, and then when God, when, when, whenever he shows up and, and we see his plan unfold, we're like, wow, he, he was right. I didn't need to worry. Everything's okay. And then we look back and think, why did I ever worry to begin with? Just like I wasted that full day worrying because I took things into my own control, we do the same thing a lot of times in life. And so I think we've got to stop worrying. We've got to stop fighting. We've got to let God do what he's going to do. And we just stick to what he wants us to do. So the key text tonight is, is in Exodus chapter 14. You can go ahead and turn there. Exodus 14. If you know the story of Exodus, uh, ultimately it's Moses leading the children of Israel out of Egyptian captivity uh, with, with the final destination, really ultimately leading them towards the promised land which God has prepared for them. So if you think about it, there is that destination. God will show himself faithful through the story. But the road to get there is not without bumps. It's not without setbacks. It's not without attacks. And so looking at our life, God has a destination. He has things he wants to do, and he's going to be faithful. But life is not without bumps. It's not without setbacks. It's not without attacks. So I was reading this passage, and I realized there's a lot that we can learn in, in, in this chapter, in this story. Um, we, we've all seen this, whether you've read this passage or not, you, you know what's about to take place. This is when they cross the Red Sea. 
And you've seen it depicted in movies or on television. And, 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 and the Red Sea splits in two. Dry land opens up. And the children of Israel walk through. And then what happens? The Egyptian army follows. Pharaoh follows. And the walls come crashing down and drowns out the whole army. God shows himself faithful. This really is the, the climax of this part of the story. And I want to show you a very specific thing that Moses tells them, that God, that God gives him to tell the children of Israel uh, during this, even before God has shown them how he's going to work all this out. And I think it will encourage you, realizing that in life, you, you, you know, you want to believe God's faithful, he's going to work this out, but yet you haven't seen yet how he's going to do it. And I want to encourage you tonight that a key part of that is to stop fighting. So we're going to start reading here, but I want to say one other thing. Usually when I, when I teach, I'll give you like a clever, like a point to write down, a clever point to remember. But tonight I want to give you confessions. Uh, things that I'm going to say and I want you to repeat. Very simple things. And I want you to repeat them over your situation. But we'll get, we'll get started here. Exodus chapter 14, verse 1. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pihirath. Try saying that three times fast. Pihahirath, <laughs> between Migdol and the sea, in front of Baal-Zephon, you shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I, God, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. He will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, and they did so. Okay, so they have just been released from Egyptian captivity. Uh, Moses has gone before Pharaoh. Ultimately, Pharaoh said, go, take your people, get out of here. And so now they have left, and he is leading them into the the wilderness. And they are following God's plan. They are following, ultimately, God's servant, Moses, who is to lead them during this exodus. And in this passage that we just read, God reveals to Pharaoh that, or sorry, he reveals to Moses that he's going to harden Pharaoh's heart. Ultimately, Pharaoh is going to change his mind, and he's going to see that uh, the, the children of Israel have made camp in the desert. It's going to appear to him that they are lost, that they are discouraged, uh, that, and they're just kind of hanging out right there. And so ultimately, he's going to change his mind, follow them, and, and try to capture them and bring them back into captivity. But God tells Moses, he says, this is part of my plan. Ultimately, I'm going to wipe them out. I'll receive the glory, and the Egyptians will know that I am God. So this is very key. He tells Moses, I will get the glory over Pharaoh. But notice he has not said how yet. Have you ever felt like you you have a a word from the Lord or you have a promise you're hanging on to? You you believe God will get the glory. You want to believe he's going to be faithful, but yet you haven't seen it all materialize in the natural. It's like Pastor Sean was saying, being patient. You, You know, trusting God, being patient, even though the circumstances haven't changed yet. And so... I like to think of it this way, kind of like a desert experience. In the natural, yes, for them, they're encamped in the desert. But have you ever felt like you're just wandering in the desert? Metaphorical, if you will. That you're just kind of wandering around, discouraged, in a season of life where circumstances aren't changing. You feel lost. You don't really know what you're doing. You kind of just, you kind of set up camp. You're so used to what's going on. And you're just wondering, I, I, I want to believe God's going to be faithful. But he hasn't shown me how yet. And, and I'm getting discouraged. Has that been you? Let's be real. And a few years ago when, when my wife and our two kids, we moved to Texas. Y'all know that. And then it's been right at a year that we've been back now. 
before we ever left, we, we sensed it was for a season. We sensed that, you know, God, was, this, this was what we needed to do to be obedient in that season, that there were things he wanted to teach us, specific things he had showed us, and we just felt like that was the time we were to step out. And I knew that God was going to do something during that time. There was things he wanted to show me, but there was definitely many times in that season where I felt in the desert. Not just because I was in Texas, but I, I, I felt like I was in a metaphorical desert. Like, like okay, I know God's got a plan. I know there's a, a great outcome from this. I know he's going to show me something. But right now, on the day-to-day, things are kind of dragging. And I'm not going to, like, you know, over-exaggerate and act like we were out there suffering in the desert for Jesus. I mean, it was a good year for us. A lot of good stuff happened. But when you leave everyone you know and everything you know, it's, sometimes it's hard to reacclimate. It's, it's hard to kind of start over. And so when you're alone, uh, it, it makes the desert even harder. And I remember many days feeling alone. I remember even the littlest things would, would discourage me. Like one week we, we all had colds, right? It's, it's a cold. A couple of them turned into ear infections. But I remember I just felt almost depressed that week. It's like we had no one to help with the kids. Like we didn't have a doctor out there yet. I had a need to go to the doctor. And it's just like the dumbest things were discouraging me. And, and, and I just felt like alone. I had a great job out there. Um, and I liked what I was doing. I liked who I worked with. But there were so many days where at the end of the day I felt empty. I felt like I was questioning my purpose. And so for you, I don't know what your desert looks like. I don't know what, if you're in the desert right now and you're kind of questioning and wondering and, and discouraging. But here's what you got to realize. Is so often when we're in that desert experience, we get too focused on what's not there and forget who is there. Y'all hear that? We get so focused on what's not here or what's not happening in this time that we forget who is here. That no matter what you're going through, no matter how vast the desert, no matter how much or how long it seems like things are taking to change, God is with you. So I want you to make this declaration over your situation right now. Say this with me. I am not alone in the desert. God knows what he's doing. I am not alone in the desert. God knows what he's doing. Let's keep reading. Verse 5, when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed, just as God had said, toward the people. And they said, what is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them and camped at the sea by Pihahirath in front of Baal-Zephon. Okay, so we've already, we've already covered that they, they've left captivity. The oppression they were under, they've left. So there's got to be that sense of freedom that they have, right? They're, they're, they're finally, things are looking up. They, they are on the journey to what's next. And then right as, as they've left captivity, we find out that Pharaoh's changing his mind, and he's going to pursue them. You know, once they realized this, there had to be that, that, that emotion rise up in them where they thought, we can't seem to catch a break. We, you've probably been there in life where, where you say, I can't catch a break. Have, have you had those days or, or weeks or seasons? And it can vary from minor things to serious things. But it's like as soon as things are looking up or as soon as we get up and we're brushing ourselves up, then we turn around and the enemy is pursuing again. It's like, what, what did I do 
to deserve this. There's those days where you wake up and there was a power surge, so the alarm didn't go off, and the, and the, the coffee pot is broke, so you didn't get coffee. You're late running to school. You finally get the kids to school. They're late. On the way to work, you get a flat tire. By the time you get to work, you get a call that, um, that your debit card has been used for fraudulent purchases. And so they're canceling your card, but it's going to take 10 days for you to get the new card. And in the meantime, you have to dispute those charges and then notify all the accounts that are linked to that debit card. Right after you're sorting that call out, your boss calls you in and tells you he's handing a project you were on over to someone else. And just the day goes by, and it's not your day. Maybe it was a, a funk or a fog, kind of like what I was experiencing today. And by the time your head hits that pillow that night, you're saying, I, I can't seem to catch a break. That would be a, a, a minor instances. And, and, you know, I think there's sometimes in life where we can't catch a break, and it could have been avoided. It, it, sometimes we can't catch a break, but it's our, it's our own fault. We could have avoided it had we not said certain things. You know, I've, I've learned in marriage, there's sometimes I feel like, will she just give me a break? Like, 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 and then I realize, well, if I hadn't said that, or if I had done this, or did this different, maybe I would have a break. So I'm learning, guys. Husbands, you can relate. But I think of a lot of not- notable uh, celebrities and public figures uh, who maybe they could catch a break if they would just think before they did certain things. I think of, like, Donald Trump. Um, <laughs> this is not an endorsement. This is nothing, no political statement. It's just because this is hot news. But he, love him or hate him, like him or not, vote for him or not, that's not what this is about. It's no secret that he is the center of media attention. He says things to, to get a reaction. And you would say, man, that guy can't catch a break. But I think he probably could catch a break if he would just rethink the way he says certain things or not say certain things at all. Um, I hear banter all throughout the audience. (laughs) Um, I think of someone like Bill Cosby. Not as funny of of an instance. You know, I I grew up watching the Cosby show, and then over the last few years, all these accusations that have come out of women saying that he he took advantage of them sexually. And, you know, we don't have all the details, but obviously at, at, at some point along the way, there was behavior he engaged in that had he refrained, he probably could catch a break, and now it's catching up with him. I think of like Johnny Manziel, Heisman Trophy winner, potential through the roof, drafted in the NFL, money and endorsements and women and all those things, fame, notoriety. And this happens so often with young people. They're given all this on a plate, but their character cannot sustain everything that that they've received. And so his self-destructive behavior and and him ignoring um, the, the counsel of people around him has ultimately led to him being in and out of rehab. Now he's been waived by the team that drafted him. These are all examples of breaks you could have caught had you just, you know, adjusted before. But here's the deal. So often in life, the, the, the times where we feel like we can't get to break, there was nothing we did to deserve it, right? Financial crisis, uh, marital issues, uh, a health diagnosis, things that you may be going through right now and you feel, I cannot catch a break. And you look at your life, you say, what did I do to deserve this? You know, I've been doing what I know to do. I've, I've been trying to trust God. I've been trying to apply the things that I know are true, but yet I feel like, I cannot catch a break. And you know why that is? It's because the enemy, the enemy of the soul is fickle. He doesn't play by the rules. And so he doesn't care if you just got up and brushed yourself off and you're pushing on to the next thing. You turn around and a lot of times you feel like, I just left captivity and now he's pursuing again. Pharaoh was fickle. He, did, he wasn't playing by the rules. And, 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 and though they'd caught a break and they're, they're, they're now left, they, they, they look over their shoulder and here comes the army. The enemy will pursue time and time again. Attacks will come. Things will happen. And what we have to realize is that we are not alone. 
And so I want you to confess this over your life. No matter, say, when the enemy pursues, God is by my side. When the enemy pursues, God is by my side. So whatever desert you're in right now, whatever you're coming out of and you feel like you turn around, there's the enemy again. God is by your side. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. You are never alone. You are never without help. Let's keep reading. Verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us, bringing us out of Egypt? Is it not this... Uh, is, is not this what we have said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Now, now they're the ones that are fickle. Uh, they, they, they were probably on cloud nine. They were probably excited and, 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 and following their leader to, towards what was next. Walking out of captivity. And now that the enemy is back, they've given up all hope. They flip-flop. They've fallen into fear. And they're saying, you know what? We would rather go back to the oppression we were under. We would rather go back into captivity than to be out here. What is even the purpose? And don't you know that is just like the enemy? Where in our lives, we, we may have victoriously walked out of something, but because another hardship awaits or we're in the middle of unpleasant circumstances, we've actually said, you know what? That situation may have been tough, but I'd almost rather go back to that than endure what's ahead of me. That relationship might have been unhealthy and destructive, but I'd rather go back to that out of insecurity than to walk through this season alone. That, that job may have been an unhealthy environment, um, but, but I'd rather go back to that for convenience sake than, than press through maybe some of the proving time that I have in this new job. Whatever that situation is for you, that's just like the enemy to, to get you to lose sight of God's promise and to say, I'd rather go back to that than endure what's ahead of me right here. And that's exactly what's happening with the children of Israel. The reason they are fearful is because they lost trust in God. As soon as our, as our, as our focus shifts from God, His promise, His faithfulness, Trust in him. As soon as that focuses to self and our circumstance and the reality of what we're facing, that's when we get into doubt. That's when we get into questioning. That's when we get into second guessing. We cannot afford to let ourselves get to a place of fear. Fear leads to that doubt, but trust leads to rest. When we truly trust, we can arrive at a place of rest. Even though we're in the desert, even though the enemy may be surrounding us, we can trust because God is in control. There's not always reason for it. Sometimes you can't always explain trust. It's choosing to step across that line to say, even though I can't see it in the natural, I trust God and I believe he's going to be faithful. And as soon as you lay down the things you're trying to carry and you stop trying to play God, God will fight for you. God's going to show himself faithful and you just got to stay in that place of trust. I'll be real. Like there's plenty of times in my life where I've questioned God. I'm sure you've questioned God. You've been going through something and you say, where is God at in this? Why is this happening? I'd rather go back to that season than endure what's going on now. And here's the confession I would want you to say over that situation. He's at work, even though I can't see it. He's at work, even though I can't see it. And so Moses, he has... He has a stronger faith. He's the one that God's speaking to, and, and he's trying to lead them and encourage them through this. And, and he's standing in faith knowing that God is going to work out this plan. But they're like, you know what? We don't, we don't see the plan. 
We don't see where God's at in this. And so they're, they're wavering, as we've just seen. But in these last two verses, we're not going to read the whole story. We're going to wrap with these next two. Verse 13, And Moses said to the people, He said, Fear not, stand firm, see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. Verse 14, The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. The Lord will fight for you, you have only to be silent. Moses is solid in his trust in God. And he tells the people in this situation, I know you're scared. I know you're fearful. I know you're thinking it's a better idea to go back than to just die out here in the wilderness. But I want you to know, fear not. Stand firm. God will fight for his people. You only need to be silent. The Egyptian army will be overthrown. Pharaoh will be defeated. God will receive the glory. And even though we haven't seen it all materialize yet, fear not, stand firm. He will fight for you. I love how the message puts it. This is what it says. It says, God will fight the battle for you. And you, you keep your mouth shut. So I was thinking about that, and I wanted to say this directly to y'all. God will fight the battle for you. And you, keep your mouth shut. It's a, it's a good reminder to say to ourselves, God's fighting for me. I don't need to sit here and speak out my fears and, and, and revert to self-sufficiency and pride and thinking that I can figure it out or, or listening to the enemy and allowing him to discourage me. God will fight for me. I just need to be silent. Silence those fears. Silence those doubts. Silence those questions. And realize that key to this, though, is that being silent doesn't mean doing nothing. Being silent doesn't mean that we do nothing. Because ultimately, Moses gives the command, God will fight for you, you only need to be silent. He gives this command, uh, but yet the sea is not parted yet. Well, when that sea does part, really that is the way out. And I believe in all our situations, God will part the sea. He'll, he'll provide a way out. The very word exodus uh, in the Greek is this word exodos, and it means the way out. And so had they just let God fight, been silent and done nothing, they would have never made it to the promised land. They would have never walked through on dry land. But the Lord will fight for you. Be silent and then take the way of escape. Walk the path that he has laid before you. That's what I mean when I say stop fighting. Let him do his job. You do yours. That means be silent. Silence those fears and keep trekking on the journey that he's put before you. The Lord will fight. I will move. That's your confession. The Lord will fight. I will move. So when those, when those feelings of fear rise up, when you feel like you're in the desert, when you feel like the enemy is encamped around you, when you feel like there's no way out yet, you haven't seen it materialize how God is going to show himself faithful, the Lord will fight. You be silent and you move. When he opens that way, there will be a way of escape. And the amazing thing about this is that ultimately we know how the story plays out. They walked through on dry land. The army followed them. The seas came crashing in. They were wiped out. That day the Egyptian army was defeated. And from then on, they knew who received the glory. They knew who God was. And for the children of Israel, no matter what oppression they faced moving forward, no matter what attack came, they could look back on this historical event and have that have renewed trust for their future liberation. Because a God who is faithful is always faithful. Amen. Do you believe that? Yes. 
that, that a, a faithful God is always faithful. Meaning if he was faithful, he is faithful and he will be faithful. So in your own life, wherever you're at right now, I encourage you, look back at a time when God was faithful. I promise if you think about it, you can find a time when God was faithful in your life. And no matter what hardship you're facing, you say, if he was faithful then, I trust him to be faithful now. And if he's faithful now, I know he's going to be faithful again. Maybe you're in a desert that's unfamiliar territory. Maybe you're facing an enemy that that you've never experienced before. And and maybe it's a diagnosis. Maybe it's something really scary. But I promise you there's people in your life who God has victoriously walked them through a similar trial. Find those people. Learn from them and realize that if God did it for them, well, he can do it for me. If God was faithful for them, then I trust him to be faithful for me. He's no respecter of persons. He's the same yesterday, today, today. And forever. He's never changing. He loves us all the same. And as I said at the beginning, if, if, if I love my kids that much, I can only imagine how much God must love me. How much God must love you. That he has bigger plans for you than you could ever imagine. And then as we trust him, I believe ultimately whatever trials we face, when we come through on the other side, we can be like Moses in chapter 15, verse 1 through 2. He says this, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be silent. Stop fighting. Stop fearing. Stop, stop trying to take things into your control. Trust God in whatever desert you're in. I promise you, he's going to walk you through victoriously. And when you get to that side, you can sing just like Moses did. You can say, my God is faithful. A God who was faithful is faithful and will always be faithful. Amen. Amen. Did you get anything out of this tonight? Thanks for listening to this week's message from Meadowbrook Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at MBC Ocala. 